0: Well, Gary read our passage for today, the resurrection account uh, from John's gospel in chapter 20, when Mary and Peter and the disciple called Beloved, who we normally refer to as John, encounter an empty tomb. I couldn't help um, but think, as I was thinking towards resurrection over over the last a couple weeks and month uh, I encountered this this bit of contemporary art that I I couldn't help uh, put together with with what we're with what we're kinda starting to grasp at with new creation especially as we as we we see this cross spring and bloom into into signifying new creation Matt um, I don't know if you guys have seen this this is a work by a woman named Nina uh, Kachadorian and it's currently at a. I don't think you can see it very well, but it's at a museum in Austin. And what she had done was she had encountered these spider webs that all had some sort of tear or brokenness to them, and and she had, with tweezers and a needle, taken red thread and repaired them. And and uh and she called this. Uh, mended spider webs, a, an uninvited. This is her quote: an uninvited collaboration with nature. But what she didn't anticipate—there's another one. Yeah. What she didn't anticipate is that every morning, and and she did she did some that mimicked the web, and then some she would write things like web repair with a phone number, uh, you know. And what she didn't anticipate though was that each morning when she'd come to these webs early in the morning she would normally find her patches just discarded by the spider on the ground and repaired better than she had you know just li- part of her exhibit is a picture of what she did and then a pile of the things that she did you know right there it's really cool to me this this exhibit was so it caught me it was so beautiful it was so Fascinating. It was really also kind of tragically descriptive <laughs> of our post Easter reality. That God has chosen in Jesus Christ, He's chosen this ultimate uninvited collaboration with nature, right? With creation that God has taken the very form of humanity in Jesus to rework, to mend, to repair and, and to restore all of creation that's been groaning and moaning towards for redemption. That God took the scarlet thread of Jesus's brutal death on the cross that, that this cross was stripped bare and he's, he's changed everything with it. He's rewritten the playbook of the cosmos. Everything has been changed. Sin's grasp of us, our fear of death and everything related to that. Do you know how many things we do every day because we fear death? <laughs> People that are f- afraid of aging, you're not afraid of aging, you're afraid of dying, right? People that are afraid of, of trespassers, you're not afraid of getting hurt, you're afraid of dying. <laughs> but we live on this side of Easter in which death has been undone. Death has been defeated, it's been mended, it's been renewed. And yet each morning I imagine God coming and looking at his creation in seeing the undoing of this work rather than its embrace. That's our invitation. That's the good news of Easter. It's the same good news as Good Friday. It is finished, but kind of stamped with an exclamation point. Confirmed. It is finished. Rest in that. On the cross, Jesus, definitively, bore the weight of this world's self-destruction and downward spiral. He closed the book on that story. In order to surprisingly and unexpectedly, and, and dare I say if I'm ever going to say it, miraculously open a new story of a new creation by his resurrection from the dead. That's what all these songs are written about. That. You guys can say hallelujah that's fine. You can talk at me. In John's gospel, just just so you know how this is getting told. John's gospel, he likes he likes to tell Jesus story as a creation story. And it's a story of of not just creation but of recreation. On top of our resurrection story, Jesus, uh, John gives us these signs that are happening throughout Jesus' life. He doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. Up until now, we've been given seven signs. Read through John's gospel sometime and pay attention to these signs. Div school students who have taken John classes know about these signs. right? In the beginning, this first sign is this party going Jesus who keeps the party going better than it ever was at a wedding ushering in this, this bounty and this grace at Cana the second sign is he heals an official's son at Capernaum and then a paralytic at Bethesda is the third sign and then the fourth sign is, is one of our favorite kids stories that feast for 5,000 that grew out of a kid's lunchbox right Then, of course, the 40-yard dash atop the sea, right, that's the sign number five. Sign number six is he he brings this light of the world illumination to a blind man's eyes. Look that up on YouTube, the first time someone hears or sees what they look like, and think about that as related to the sign. And finally, we talked about it last week, the seventh sign, this capstone sign, where he raises Mary's brother Lazarus from the dead. He resuscitates Mary's dead brother. And all these culminate with the sign of signs. Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. The crucifixion of the Messiah. Just as Genesis's creation story begins with excess and grace and ends with Sabbath rest, that it is very good. John's gospel tells the same sort of creation, recreation story. Excess and grace of water turned to wine, celebrating the overflow of intimacy and communion. And that goes all the way through to to the it is finished of the cross. On a, on a very good Friday. Yesterday we moved through silence and emptiness, this in-between time. And it's out of that space too that we find rest. And then early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, that's, that's the way John tells it over and over. Pay attention to what time it is. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. She expected to find decreation, chaos, formlessness, void. After all, the, wor- the world had just suffered Jesus had suffered, her friend, her teacher, her long-hoped-for Messiah had just been destroyed. How could there now be a future since her hopes had been dashed? The one they had hoped for had just been lynched. The revolution had just been taken off its rails. The empire had struck back. It seemed that God's kingdom was not all that it had been cracked up to be. Instead, though, instead she stumbled into the first day of the week. While it was early, while it was still dark. She stumbled into the first day of the new creation. One theologian puts it this way. The Word through whom all things were made is now the Word through whom all things are being remade. Jesus' resurrection is to be seen as the beginning of the new world, the first day of the new week, the unveiling of the prototype of what God is now going to accomplish for the rest of the world. That's what we mean when we say first fruits of a new creation. This is what we mean when we call Jesus the second Adam. It's going to reverse the curse of the first Adam. So this second Adam meets Mary in the garden. I'm sympathetic to Mary here, right? Like, <laughs> what, what was she really expecting here? But this second Adam meets Mary and knows her name. She met Peter and she met the beloved disciple With only fear and uncertainty, she reports to them, They've taken my Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. She met Jesus there after that. She met Jesus through the blur of her own weeping and despair. You see, this Jesus knew that feeling. Remember when he wept at Lazarus' graveside? He understood the depths of her despair, her sorrow. So Jesus asked the same question the angels just asked. Why are you crying? Mary, why are you crying? But then he continued. Who are you looking for? That's such a strange pair of questions, right? Why, they're both questions, but why are you crying seems so, so um, like backward oriented, so final and so finished. Who are you looking for seems so open ended and, and forward looking. And then Mary makes this ironic mistake. She thinks Jesus is a gardener, she, she meets a guy in the garden. She thinks Jesus is a gardener. We've all driven by a graveyard and seen a dug tomb and we've seen the guys like weed eating around it. I imagine this is something of what Mary's encountering here and she calls him the gardener and it's a mistake but it's ironic because it's truer than she could possibly know. She stumbles again into the right answer. She bumbles into salvation. She took the resurrected Jesus for a mere gardener she was more correct than she knew. This happy accident of this identity witnesses to the fact that Jesus, the Jesus she confused gives a glimpse towards the future. And it's a, it's, a, it's a gardening future. It's a visceral, dirt under your fingernails, physical future. It's a future where the past matters because that compost of sin and death creates this rich soil of despair and destruction and hope and lamentation. And it's now been made useful for the renewal of all things. Something is going to spring up from that stump. It's a future that brings all of history to its fulfillment. It's a history that started in a garden, and then moves towards a garden city cultivated by our Lord. It's a mending of creation. Tears are wiped away. Jesus has moved through lament towards resurrection and new creation. I think it kind of charts a little something like this, Matt. I think there's a slide. We've spent... Weeks upon weeks in this yellow space. This place of lament. This place where Jesus' question, why are you weeping, gets answered over and over. Like For for those of you that read with us or listen to the daily podcast that start your day off with about 35 seconds of why are you weeping. Like, serious stuff and very concrete and tangible. But then it kind of moves towards... This, who are you looking for? Again, this kind of unresolved question. It's a question that might seem like a dumb question at a tomb that we've been reminded has never been used before. And then a few days earlier, a guy was laid in it whom everyone very publicly saw die. But who are you looking for doesn't take that answer for granted. Who are you looking for is fundamentally hope fueled? Who are you looking for is a new creation question? Because you keep asking that and maybe the like the nth time that you ask that, you get a new answer. You you get the right answer. This is great encouragement from Jesus to keep asking. To keep expecting, to keep exploring, to keep seeking, and you'll find him, or as we see in the story, he'll find you. On your song sheets and in the email earlier this week, there's there's also this painting, this fresco. It's like a fifteenth century Tuscan fresco by Piero Piero della Francesca. I, I love how this This seems to show this. This seems to visualize this. We find Jesus right in the middle. Right in the middle between the old and the new. Right on the cusp. Standing. He's wounded. You see his side. But he is so authoritative. He's carrying that banner of victory. He's standing over These centurions and these guards, he he seems to be mighty over the powers and principalities. On the left, we see the old that's passing away, devastation and despair, broken by sin and bound for death. And on the right, we see flourishing, vibrant, eternal life. And here we find Jesus smack in the middle. I think there's another one, Matt. Find Jesus right there, right in the middle of why are you crying and who are you looking for? Right in the middle of despair and lament and and hope and restoration. In the middle is where Jesus was, and in the middle is where Jesus still is. Colossians one gives great commentary on this. So so good. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. The sun is the the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation, because all things were created by him, both in heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they're thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He existed before all things, and right here, all things. All things are held together in him. So that pull that just threatens to pull us apart, Jesus holds that together. If anything, I think this resurrection story, I think it starts to develop kind of of like a, does anyone do Polaroids anymore? Kind of like a Polaroid develops really kind of slow, and hazy, and you start to make it out, and it starts to develop this picture of a community gathered around the risen Jesus, with Jesus right in the middle. That's the architecture of our time together, is us gathered around Jesus. We start to see this in the story by the characters, Mary Magdalene, who who gets these questions, Mary, why are you crying? Mary, who are you looking for? Mary, after all, is the first to arrive. She's the first witness. But she's still grieving. In Mary, many of you can, can identify. There's a progression in how she sees Jesus. She first calls him, even as she's talking to Jesus. She first calls him the gardener and refers to him as sir. <laughs> sir. Then she, she says, Jesus... Teacher, Rabbani. And finally she says This is the Lord But even as she identifies Jesus as the Lord And gets that so right She tries to, to hold on to him Jesus is Lord but he's an elusive Lord He can't be held He can't be bottled He can't be kept from his work His work with the Father There's also Peter in this story when you read peter it's it's also helpful to to read that also as the church like peter is is often so kind of enthusiastic and impulsive Je- jesus is is kind of this dual personality because he he's a denier <laughs> who gets asked three times if he's with Jesus and, and three times over before the rooster crows, he says, no, that's not me. I'm not that guy. That's, that's not how it goes. And then upon meeting the resurrected Jesus, he, he gets asked three times by Jesus, do you love me? And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I do. He says, feed my sheep. Over and over. So this denier is also the sheep feeder, the, the shepherd. He's enthusiastic, but maybe a little over-emotional. It says he, he kind of raced uh, the beloved disciple and beat him. And then, like, went right in. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, aside from when I was younger and really liked Indiana Jones, I'm not eager to be the first one into an open tomb, right? Like, that's not what's happening. And then the third character in the story is John, the beloved. This, one, this, this guy's whole identity in this whole gospel is based around intimacy with, with Jesus. He, he, he arrives first. He's also the first to believe. It says, "And John saw and he believed, but he, he did not yet understand what the scriptures were saying about what was going on. He saw and believed, but he didn't understand yet. I get the feeling that that John is so in love with Jesus that, that he's led by his heart. He's led by, he knows this in his bones more than he knows this in his head. And that's just okay with John. So we have this first community gathered around this Jesus in the middle And you see the divergence in the way they worship, their personalities, what they know and what they're led by. But all they do know is that Jesus is in their midst. Jesus is in the middle. The church broadly, Oak Church in particularly, must always and only be a church in the middle with this Jesus who's in the middle we're always going to have this mix of people these mix of people who are asking why are you weeping <laughs> in this mix of people who are you looking for this mix of people who are who are grieving in this mix of people who are joyful this was this was like never more evident than the other night on good friday when in the same room we we joined with friends from the Gathering Church in the same room and I know this well, I know these stories really well we had a couple who in the last year has just received amazing new life to their marriage, like on the verge uh, in brink of despair and an irreconcilable uh, marriage has received healing and hope and also in that same room a, a guy who right before the service, I hadn't seen him in a while, says yeah I think tomorrow She's leaving. It's over. In the same space. And I think the only way that we can hold that together is by being centered on this Jesus in whom all things are held together. And over the course of this last year, Easter's are a good thing to mark your time with. And this last year, we've seen brothers and sisters in our midst who, who who have seen unbelievable deliverance unbelievable healing and people who have just broken completely down all in the same space we've seen people having babies, we've seen people struggling to have babies that just desperately want to have babies, we've seen people who are lonely and people who come and find life people with silent struggles mental illness and depression People undergoing major flux, like theological, political, emotional flux in their lives. And and maybe Mary is a good guide for that as she encounters Jesus and shifts from from stranger to teacher to Lord, right? But maybe in the midst of all of this, maybe we need to, to allow this resurrection to completely reconfigure all of that. Like reconfigure our, our politics, re- reconfigure our theology, reconfigure how we relate to each other. Hopefully the church will be this hopeful, realistic community in the middle of it all. Like in the middle of this time which threatens massive violence. Like, y'all, we are like on the brink of global nuclear war right now. And the church is necessarily in the middle of this or in a nation with racial and political conflict that's just like a powder keg ready to explode the church can't feed on these antagonisms but we also can't be a people with this like untethered blind optimism Leslie Newbegin puts it this way for us she says we 're neither optimist nor pessimist. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead <laughs> it doesn 't seem like a very good answer to most of us, but if we embrace that, if we knew that, if we re charted and shifted the entire paradigm towards resurrection and new creation, maybe something, at least in us, would change. Maybe something in our households or in our neighborhoods or in our city might change and shift towards peace. This peace that we didn't know last week when we were waving palms. (laughs) This, This peace that is profoundly historical in political and theological and all of the above, and we allow that peace to reconfigure us. Because God raised God's Son by God's Spirit. So we can't afford to be all hope or all mourning, but instead we gotta cleave To this risen Jesus, cleave like Mary, like to where he says, Get off of me, I have to go. And and we won't let him go. Because we need him in the middle. That that we in in this Jesus we find our, our still point there. Everything else is spinning around and 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 we find a still point, a place of rest in Jesus. Where all of our hope is bound to all of our mourning because Jesus has taken all of hope and all of mourning and bore that in the flesh. He stood and stands in the middle, in our place for our sake, and He leads us into new creation. Colossians goes on and says Jesus is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the one who is the first fruit from among the dead, so that he might occupy the first place in everything. Because all of the fullness, every single bit of God, all the fullness of God is pleased to live in him. And he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on the earth or in the heavens. He brought peace through the blood of his cross. Again, this is the piece that we didn't recognize, the piece that we we will leave crumbled up with the rest of the repaired web on the ground. This is a whole making reconciled newness from a desperate, seemingly irreconcilable old. This is healing through lament. Bonhoeffer puts it this way, wherever the cross is, the resurrection is near. We can only know that if we're near Jesus. I just want to close with the rest of that passage from Colossians. As we move t- take this as we move towards our time of response and, and of um, confession, take these words from Colossians 1:18 through23. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies with him in your minds, which was shown by your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death to present you before God as a people who are holy, faultless, and without blame. But you need to remain well established and rooted in faith and not shift away from the hope given in the good news that you heard. This message has been preached throughout all creation under heaven. Father, I thank you for this word, this good news that has been preached throughout all creation under heaven. I pray this good news, this very good news, take root in our lives take root in this place. That we might be completely reconfigured in light of the fact that we need not fear death and we need not be gripped by sin. Father, be in the middle of our life together in your son Jesus. Amen.